Great to see you. I'm incredibly grateful to have each and every one of you uh, with us today. I wanna take a moment before I jump into my sermon and I wanna celebrate some things with you really quick. Yesterday we had over 300 people uh, show up for our food packing event, which is more than double what we've ever had before in the past. And uh, we were able to pack 100,440 meals. Can we give it up for that? Uh, This is an opportunity for us every year just to be reminded um, that it takes so little effort on our part to be such a huge blessing in someone else's life. And so we've been praying. Hopefully you joined us in our fast this past week where we were fasting and praying for God to send these meals to the mouths that need them the most. And I also wanna let you know really quick uh, that because of the organization we partner partner with, which is Mission of Hope, uh, we have a unique opportunity coming up in January that I just learned about yesterday. Uh, TJ is with us today. He's from Mission of Hope. And they just received a big grant that allowed them to purchase um, a new facility down in the Dominican Republic, but it's gonna need some work to kind of get it up going to the extent that they want it to be. And so in January, we're going to send a group of guys and gals to go down who are a little bit more handy. And so even if you think you're handy, um, let us know. Uh, he's going to be out. TJ's going to be out in the lobby with Josiah. If you're interested in that trip, we don't know how the, have the exact dates yet, but if you're interested in that trip, uh, feel free to go out there and talk to them. Again, we're going to send that group down probably mid to late January in the beginning of the year so we can help them get that facility up and going. Sound good? Let me pray for us right now, and then we're gonna jump into my sermon. Father, thank you uh, for what what happened uh, yesterday. Father, thank you for the heartbeat of this church, for people who stepped up and gave some of their time just so that we could put some meals together. And Lord, we wanna continue that prayer that you will send these meals to the mouths that need them the most. I also pray, God, that every time we do something like this, it's a reminder to us how little effort it takes on our part to be such a huge blessing in someone else's life. God, help us to be people of availability. God, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, hey, today, if you're joining us for the first time, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're continuing in a series on the Holy Spirit. And I got a lot of content to cover, and so we need to jump right in, but I want to give us a little bit of a recap uh, from last week. Last week, we determined that the primary role of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus known to us and then to make Jesus known through us. And we discovered that by looking at John chapter 16. And I would tell you that this statement is a foundational statement that's even important for our conversation today. Because I would tell you that if we get this wrong, we will likely err when it comes to the spiritual gifts, which is what we're going to be discussing today as a church. And I would say that this statement almost becomes the guardrails for us as we look more deeply into the spiritual gifts and we determine what these gifts need to look like in our life, in the life of this church and how we need to embrace them. Now, it's impossible for me to cover everything that I want to cover in one sermon on the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so my main motivation today is going to, going to be to talk about what it looks like for us to potentially err in two different extremes. On one hand, there could be the extreme where there's an overemphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, or maybe potentially exercising them uh, or using them in a way that's not biblical, right? And so that would be this chair. And on the other hand, there could be those that are underutilizing the gifts of the Holy Spirit and maybe dismissing them altogether, maybe potentially based on some experiences that you've had in life 
uh, and in other churches, you've decided to kind of stay away from this subject because for you, things got kind of hurtful and potentially even strange. And so what you've decided to do is like, you know what, I'm just not even gonna mess with that area of my faith, to which I'd say you would also be in error. And so what I wanna talk about today is a healthy approach of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, I wanna begin by building a foundation. And to build that foundation, I want you to see the 21 gifts that we see throughout the New Testament. These are the 21 gifts that are extended to believers when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you got a phone, I would tell you to take your phone out, snap a quick shot of that. I'm not gonna leave it up too long. The ones that are highlighted are the ones that are considered the sign gifts. And we're gonna spend the majority of our time today talking about the sign gifts. You can leave that up there for just a few more moments. Now, if you've ever gone through Rooted, which is something we ask everybody to go through here at Trace, you know that there is a test that we have you take, an assessment where you can discover what some of your spiritual gifts are. And I love those tests, I love those assessments. You can go home today and you can you know, Google what's you know, a test for gifts of the Holy Spirit and you can take those tests and it's gonna give you some information. But I have found that it's a better approach to just continue to pursue Jesus and to discover where it is that God may have specifically gifted you in those 21 different areas. For instance, when I first started working for a church, um, I was in my 30s. And uh, as I was working for this church, they pulled me aside and said, Aaron, we think that God has given you a gift of leadership. Now I'm in my 30s and I'd never heard anybody say anything like that to me. And so they gave me more opportunities. They challenged me in different ways. And it showed me how to develop this gift of leadership. And I would tell you today that one of my primary gifts is potentially the gift of leadership. But I wouldn't have known that until I invited people to challenge me in my faith and also encourage, not encourage them, but just ask them to point something out in me. A great question to ask people that are very close to you is, hey, out of these 21 things, uh, what would you say I'm gifted in? What would you say that you've noticed that I'm gifted in? And allow somebody else's input to speak into your life. For instance, when I asked Emily out of these things, it's like, hey babe, what, what gift do you think that I'm gifted in? She says, the gift of tongues. And I said, sweetheart, this is not about French kissing. That's not what we're talking. <laughs> it's a bad preacher, I love you, sweetheart, sorry. <laughs> Moving on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says something incredibly important when he's referencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says, all these, referring to the gifts, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. I would tell you that some of these gifts can be exercised at time, at any time and at our will. For instance, like mercy or hospitality or teaching or evangelism. You don't necessarily need a gift to do those things, even though some people are definitely more gifted in those areas. I often joke that God didn't give me much of a mercy gift, so truly I look to my wife Emily to be my mercy gift because I just don't have a lot of, uh, of that. I wanna grow in that. But these are some of the areas that we can, we can exercise at will at any time, right? Like teaching, let me just say them again, mercy, hospitality, teaching, evangelism but some people are gonna be gifted, more gifted in those areas than others. And some people might, might try to step into some of those giftings when that really is not the area that they should be stepping into. They should probably be embracing things that they have uh, more strengths in. For instance, for instance, has anybody ever heard really bad preaching? Just raise your hand. Anybody ever heard really bad, bad teaching or preaching? Hopefully it wasn't in this church, uh, but I've been there with you. It's like, brother, 
I, great try. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate the effort, but maybe your gift is hospitality. Let's introduce you to the greeting team, right? Maybe that's the case sometimes. So some of these gifts, some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be exercised at will at any time. You don't even need, um, you don't even need a greater gift to exercise those. But some gifts were only intended to be exercised as God wills. In Philippians chapter two, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, he says this, for it is God who works in you through his Holy Spirit to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. One of the gifts that I would point out, and again, I just can't cover everything today, but one of the gifts that I would point out that we can exercise at will is the gift of healing. Now, there's something I actually learned this week in my study and in my research. When we're reading through the New Testament and the gift of healing comes up a couple different times, we actually don't see the most accurate translation. The more accurate, accurate translation that the ESV and the NIV miss is it's supposed to say gifts of healings. And you may be wondering, well, why does that even make a difference? Well, let me show you something that John Piper said on this subject. He said, if God gives you gifts of healings, it does not mean that you can heal, heal, goodness, there's Kentucky coming out of me. You can heal at will or that everyone you pray for will be healed. Isn't it interesting that the literal phrase in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, and in 1 Corinthians 12 is where we see a list of these gifts. It's not gift of healing, but it's gifts of healings. It's two plurals. And then John says this, I think this is probably, I think this probably means that different kinds of gifts for different kinds of healings are given to various people according to God's sovereign will. This alone would suggest that one person will not have a monopoly on every sort of healing that is necessary. And it suggests that there will be many times when a person with some gifts to heal will not be able to heal in every circumstance. Now, for what it's worth, we see this throughout the New Testament. We don't see one person in the New Testament other than Jesus that can heal people at will whenever they want but we see many of the apostles healing people. They just don't heal people every single time. For instance, the apostle Paul healed many people throughout the New Testament, but there are some people that he was not able to heal. And so once again, some gifts are given to us and we can use at will where other gifts potentially, not potentially, some gifts are only supposed to be used at God's will. Now, I would tell you when it comes to healing, and, the, and I'll kind of stop after this on this particular subject. When it comes to healing, I think there's the potential for every single one of us to have those gifts if God wills it to be in that particular moment circumstance. As you can imagine, I've been invited into a lot of hospitals. I've been invited into a lot of very tragic circumstances. And I prayed over people on their deathbed. And I pray when I pray in those moments, God, would you impart the gift of healing to me right now. God, would you do what I know that you can do? And I pray with all authority and faith because I know what God's capable of. And so I don't wanna limit God's capabilities through my capacity. And so I pray that God would give me that gift. And I would tell you, there have been some times where I've prayed over things. And then I've heard later that people have experienced a healing. Maybe that's whether through miracles or whether that's through modern medicine or a little bit of both but I've prayed over things. Emily and I got invited into a very tragic circumstance here recently where a young lady, 17 years old, not a part of this church, was in a horrific car accident. They didn't think she was going to make it. 
And we went into her hospital bedroom and, and we prayed. And again, whether it was God using those prayers or modern medicine or a little bit of both, that young lady came out of her coma and she's doing really good today. And so I wanna encourage you that whatever circumstances in front of you, don't think, well, I don't have the gift of healing. I would encourage you to pray that God would impart the gift of healing to you when you pray and you pray with the full authority, the full authority of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not you, it's God's authority and power through you that God would impart that gift to you and pray through faith of what we know God can do. Sound good? Now, out of these 21 gifts, there are a few of these that are considered what we call the signs gifts. Now, this is where we get into a little bit more debate when it comes to the church and whether or not these gifts are still available to the church today. On one hand, you've got what are called cessationists. And so this comes down to these two words, cessationism versus continuationism. Somebody could have come up with better words than that. I don't know why those are the ones we came up with in theology, but here they are. So since cessationists believe that the sign gifts, which is prophecy and healing and speaking in tongues. And for those of you new to the church, speaking in tongues was just a gift imparted um, to believers, some believers to be able to speak in a language that was unknown to them. And again, I could preach a whole sermon on speaking in tongues and I'm, I'm just not even gonna approach that today because it's too much. But cessationists believe that God imparted these gifts, specifically the healing miraculous gifts in tongues to the early apostles because they needed more signs and wonders to elevate the message that they were carrying, right? Keep in mind, there were no, there were no Gideons during the early church. So nobody's going around handing out Bibles. They didn't even have the written text yet. And so some people, cessationists would say that God gave them these miraculous gifts so that as they're preaching the gospel, they can also say, and see, here's evidence that the message that we're portraying is true. That's cessationism. And they said, well, those gifts ceased when the apostles died off, that those, those particular gifts stopped. The other side is what's called continuationism where those gifts continued to be available to New Testament believers today that the, all of those gifts are still a part of the New Testament church and that we can uh, all use them for the sake. Again, you may not be gifted with all of them, but they're still used to build up the New Testament church. I wanna let you know that we are a continu continuationist, goodness, that's a mouthful. We are a continuationist church. We believe that all the gifts are still available to the church today. And when exercised biblically, and that's a very important statement, when exercised biblically, we believe that they are needed and used to build up the body of Christ. Now, another term uh, that often comes up, and I even used this last week, is something that most of you are familiar with, but it's this word charisma or charismatic. And we get the word charismatic from the Greek word charisma or charismata. And that Greek word specifically means in English, gifts or gifts of grace. And so, Last week, I referred to myself as a charismatic sometimes, and uh, that's definitely not the best way to explain kind of my theological position. If charismatic simply means that we believe that all the gifts are still available to the New Testament church, I would tell you that I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt on. <laughs> and the reason I say that I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt on is because, unfortunately, I have seen these gifts abused and misused so many times uh, within the church. I've had personal experiences with that. 
And I've had many counseling sessions with people coming into my office, coming out of hyper-charismatic environments where they just needed to process through things because of how unhealthy of an experience that was. I'm gonna talk about that here in just a moment, but let me, let me pause here for a moment. I find it hard at times to use any word to label my beliefs or what it means specifically for me to follow Jesus, because there's a continuum in between these phrases and there's people all over the map. And so if I were just to get up here and explain my theological position by saying that I'm a charismatic would fall really short of where I feel like I am in my faith. I would tell you that I've got so many different experiences that have helped shape my theology. For those of you that don't know this, I grew up in the Baptist church. Where are my Baptists at? Anybody Baptists? They're usually not very loud. Um, but I grew up in the Baptist church. I was saved in the Baptist church. A little bit later in life, because I was a wayward son, um, I was a prodigal. Uh, a little bit later in life, I rededicated my life in a Pentecostal conference where the Pentecostals are charismatics. We, that is not, that was, guys, you're not representing yourself well. That illustration did not go the way that I thought it was gonna go. But I did, I rededicated my life at a charismatic conference. I bet many of you don't know this. I was married in the Catholic church and now I'm the pastor of a non-denominational church. You know what they call people like me? Theological mutts, that's what I am. I am a theological mutt. And at times I really do. I don't wanna want be described by one tribe of Christianity. I, want, I don't wanna be described as one particular label of you know, what my position could or could not be. And I have learned, and I hope that many of you share this sentiment with me. I have learned that we can learn a lot of things from all these different tribes. Like I would tell you the Baptist church helps us to stay committed to the word of God. I would tell you that our hyper-charismatic friends even, or Pentecostal, whatever you wanna say that, helps us to be reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's gonna do that, again, uh, somebody bring me one of the uh, handheld mics, if that's okay. We had some mic issues last week. I would tell you that the Catholic Church reminds us of the importance, thank you, sir. Give it up for Joseph. Check. Thank you. Our, our Catholic brothers and sisters remind us of the importance of reverence and confession and the posture at times of kneeling down in the presence of our almighty God. I think we can learn a lot of different things from different tribes of Christianity. And so I want us to be like careful not to just throw labels and it's like, we're not this, we're that, or, or this is gonna completely define me. I would tell you there's a lot of different ways that we can be defined in the Christian faith, but the most important thing is I follow Jesus and I'm learning what it looks like to die to myself every single day. That's the hardest thing I've ever learned to do in my life. And I'm asking for his Holy Spirit to work in and through my life to reveal Jesus to me, but then reveal Jesus through me. Now, I do wanna talk to a specific audience this morning because there are some of you in here that came from what I'm gonna call charismania, okay? And charismania is, they're, they're churches that overemphasized the gifts of the Holy Spirit and didn't exercise them in a biblical way. For those of you that don't know this, like one of the number one reasons why the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth is because they were getting so many things wrong 
including how they were exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and even more specifically, the gift of tongues. And so Paul is reprimanding them because they're overemphasizing these things. And church, I would tell you that I have sat across the table of many people that have come out of hyper, I'm gonna call it hyper charismatic environments. And they would tell me where it's like, Aaron, it just felt forced. It felt, it felt fake, but I felt like I needed to follow along because if I didn't, they were gonna challenge my very own faith. And so I found myself just kind of going through the motions because I was afraid of what it was gonna do to me because I, I saw other people that challenged those things and then, then they were just told, well, you don't have enough faith. And maybe at times certain things like being baptized in the spirit was pushed on them where it's like, hey, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit and show an outward sign that you've received the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues or some prophetic language, if you don't, if you don't show those things, you're not even saved. And I wanna talk here in a moment about what I'm gonna call the false doctrine of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So stay with me, We're gonna, it's gonna get interesting. But I would tell you that if you, that if you found yourself in this particular seat and you're still trying to process through some of that, uh, my office door is open. Uh, I've counseled many people through that because some of you are still like, I don't even know what or how to process through some of the things that I went through. And I would tell you in those hyper charismatic environments, is where I have seen the majority of spiritual manipulation happen. It's just true. And so if that happens to be you, I wanna let you know that my office door is open. I'd be more than happy to sit down and process with you some of the experiences that you had and what is biblical and what's not biblical, okay? Now, where we have to be careful is that maybe this was your experience. And because of this experience, it sent you to the other chair. I would personally confess to you today and be transparent that because of some of the experiences that I've had in hyper charismatic environments, that's what caused me to put that seatbelt on. Where I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I keep that seatbelt on because I found myself being skeptical, skeptical because I have 100% seen them used in an unbiblical way. I've seen these gifts exercised in a way that could not be backed up with scripture, which caused me, causes me to hesitate. Anybody else feel like this at times? It causes me to hesitate. And again, can I just be transparent with you today? I don't want to hesitate when it comes to how the Holy Spirit could work and use my life. And so I've been processing through this a lot, but again, what we have to be careful is that it doesn't send us over here to where it's like, you know what? I didn't like those experiences. I think that was fake. I don't see that in the Bible. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm completely shutting down what the Holy Spirit could do. Or maybe you're sitting in this chair because you're just simply uneducated, that you've never been taught what it means to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And specifically with the signs gifts, that you've never been explained how these need to be used in a biblical way and how some of them do have parameters around them, which we've already, which we've already covered, right? That sometimes you can only use these gifts as God wills, not at your will. And so over here, we have to be very careful that we don't shut down the full potential and the full measure of the Holy Spirit and how he wants to use your life. Now, I wanna, I wanna dig down on this subject of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I wanna do this and the reason why I'd call it a false doctrine and the reason why I'm gonna spend the time to even talk about this is because we're talking about the subject of salvation here. 
And I want everybody that calls Trace Church home to know that you can be assured of your salvation and that you don't need some hyper-spiritual experience to ever display in order to know that you've been filled with the Spirit. And so I wanna unfold this for you really quick. And uh, Jana, I'm actually, just for the sake of time, I'm gonna skip over Acts chapter eight really quick. And let me just paraphrase what I was gonna say. In Acts chapter eight and in Acts chapter 19, we see something happen that has led to uh, this false doctrine of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and how that needs to be a separate experience from your original conversion. In Acts chapter eight and 19, it says that there were some believers that had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is the apostles come, one time it's in Samaria, another time it's in Ephesus. The, the apostles come and find these believers and they're like, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no. And it's like, we were just baptized in the name of Jesus. And so now it feels like that these two experiences need to be completely separate. And so what happens is they laid their hands on these particular believers and then they received the Holy Spirit. Now stay with me because this is incredibly important. Those are two anomalies that we don't ever see again in the text. And I would tell you the reason we see it then is because they were baptized before Jesus was ascended. Stay with me. This is a big deal, okay? They were baptized when John the Baptist was going around and preaching the message of repentance, but nobody can receive the Holy Spirit until Jesus ascends into heaven, right? In Acts chapter one, it says that Jesus ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes down. So what happens to the people that were baptized before Jesus ascended into heaven? What happens to the people that were baptized when John the Baptist was going around before Jesus was even resurrected and teaching them to repent and prepare the way for the Lord? Well, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit because Jesus hadn't ascended. So they had been baptized, but the apostles came by later and said, okay, you were baptized underneath John the Baptist as uh, just recognizing that Jesus was the Messiah. But now you need to receive the Holy Spirit because Jesus has ascended. Does that make sense? I hope I'm not losing some of you. This is definitely gonna feel like, more like a classroom today, but it is essential that you understand there is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me build this biblical foundation for us quickly. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, everybody say believed. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit when you believe and confess and give your life over to Christ, who is a deposit, ready? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You need the Holy Spirit to come in you so that your heavenly father sees the righteousness of Christ in you. That's the only way that you can be saved. So any doctrine that teaches that after your confession and baptism, when you've invited Jesus to be the leader and Lord of your life, any, any doctrine that says that you haven't received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit yet until you have these experiences is false. Let me keep building this point. First Corinthians chapter 12. For we were all, everybody say all, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. It was one experience. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then Romans 8. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
as clear as you can make it. If they do not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. It is absolutely essential that you understand that when you believe and trust Jesus with your your life, you are given the full measure, the full measure of the Holy Spirit. Now, what that doesn't mean is that at times we're not filled with the spirit. This is where this confusion sometimes comes into play. Sometimes people um, mistranslate the filling of the Spirit with the baptism of the Spirit. Throughout the book of Acts, we see several different references. You can go ahead and throw those up there. We see several different times. If you want to write those down, you can look at that text later. In these texts, uh, we see that the apostles, after already being full of the Holy Spirit, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, that at times they were full of the Spirit. In other words, they were doing something in such a way that they, feel, they felt filled with the Holy Spirit. For some of you, this happens in worship, doesn't it? Right, you've already been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, but if you're like me, because worship is one of my, my spiritual angles of just experiencing the fullness of God more deeply, sometimes we're, when we're in worship, I mean, if you were to think about it, worship, like what, how many other areas of your life do you feel like you're opening yourself up to praising God through song and through word and through surrender, sometimes through a posture of raising your hands as a sign of surrender and you're singing out to God. How many other areas of our life do we open ourselves up that much to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? And that's why so many of us, when we're singing in worship, we have this filling, this experience where we feel like God is filling us in that moment with the Holy Spirit in new ways, in unique ways. And again, sometimes you've heard me say this, man, oftentimes, I'm not a big crier, but oftentimes it leads me to tears because I just, I, just, I think the way I described it last week is I, I, feel, I feel helpless, but full of hope all in the same moment. And it's, there's just some kind of unique spiritual reassurance that happens. For others, it could be serving. Right? Many of you yesterday when you were helping us pack meals, maybe you felt a sense of being more full of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I would tell you you felt that is because you're doing the very thing that Jesus would be doing if he were walking here on this earth. Maybe not the exact thing, but he would be serving the least of these. I see this happen all the time on mission trips when people go down and they're, they're visiting a foreign country and they're in the slums. I experienced this. I was in the slums of Haiti once and I was serving people and I was experiencing things and I just felt full, I, like I felt, I felt a heartache because of what I, what I was observing, but I also felt full of the Holy Spirit. And the best way I can describe that is because that's what Jesus wants to do through you. And when you're allowing Jesus to work in and through you through his Holy Spirit, you're going to feel that fullness. I would tell you at times I experience this when I'm preaching. I would even say that preaching is a form of prophecy. I mean, think about it. You don't get to see this, but probably somewhere between 10 and 15 hours throughout the week, I am praying and I am processing, God, would you give me a word? Would you show me what text to teach from? God, would you give me the right tone? Would you give me the right amount of encouragement and the right amount of challenge to present to our church? I am partnering with the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes when I'm up here declaring the word of God, I feel full of the spirit. I feel full of him right now. 
because I'm proclaiming his word and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to partner with me and to articulate things in such a way that are beyond me and beyond my capabilities. It's funny, um, there was a time when I was preaching a sermon and it might've been Christmas and I remember I was like, I was really, I was feeling it. Like sometimes you just feel it as a pastor and I was feeling it, I was preaching and I made this statement and it was something I was ready to make because it's such a great statement in my mind. I said, Jesus is a better savior than you are a sinner. Anybody wanna say amen to that? And I think it was a Christmas sermon and I'm preaching that and I make that point and one of my uh, very charismatic friends uh, was sitting over here in this particular area. He doesn't come to this church anymore. Um, but he was sitting in this area over here and he just out loud as if we were having a conversation said, oh, Aaron, that is good. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I think I'm supposed to say thank you. Like, <laughs> I like being around people more charismatic than me. As long as they're exercising those gifts, in a biblical way, I like being stretched in that area. Has anybody else ever had somebody that maybe leans more in the charismatic area, pray in a situation or pray over you, over you and in that moment you feel like the heavens opened up? It's like, please just keep talking. Like keep praying because you feel like they are in the presence of Almighty God and we all should feel that way and should know that. And let me ask you this, if your kid if your kid was on their deathbed, we were talking about this as a staff this week. If your kid was on their deathbed, do you want somebody coming in and praying over them that thinks, I don't, I don't know if God will do anything? Or do you want somebody coming in and praying over your child that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power to be able to heal? Whether or not he does or not is his will and it's his choice to make. But I want somebody that believes in the full authority and the full measure of the power of the Holy Spirit praying over my child. Hopefully you do too. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter four, 14, uh, Paul says something that we all, need, we all need to take more time thinking about. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And so if you're sitting over here today and you're not even sure what to think about some of the things that I've said, then just listen to the Apostle Paul. Don't listen to me because Paul says eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, and again, this is one of the areas where Paul is minimizing the role of tongues within the church. And I'm just not gonna dive too deep into that subject. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit, but the one who prophesies, so prophecy is strongly encouraged when it comes to the spiritual gifts, but, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Now, I wanna be clear about this. Prophecy is not future telling. Prophecy is not future telling. If you go back and look at all of the Old Testament prophecy, around 5% of it is telling of future events. The rest of it is actually communicating an indictment on Israel and a call for them to repent. I wanna be clear about this. The sufficiency of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture to guide and grow and galvanize what the Christian walk is supposed to look like is without need for additional revelation. 
So when we talk about prophecy, it's not God giving us some prophetic word that, that challenges what the Bible is very clear and has already communicated. Listen to me, the canon is closed. The canon is closed. I would tell you, this is even where the Catholic church got into some trouble. And this is why Martin Luther wrote his 95 theses is because they were abusing some of the spiritual gifts, giving room for the Pope and papal authority to speak new revelation into place. And anytime we try to speak new revelation into place that is not backed up by the canon, which is closed, <laughs> then we have overstepped what the spiritual gifts are supposed to be. So what is prophecy? In short, I would tell you prophecy, as Paul described it up there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's a supernatural word that God may give you to strengthen, encourage, and comfort someone else. Uh, when Emily and I first moved here, we were up in Frisco and we hadn't started Trace Church yet. We were up in Frisco and we went to a little breakfast spot and had a really nice breakfast. And then we were hanging out in Silverthorne uh, that day and we ended up going to the uh, movie theater later that evening. And while we were in the movie theater, a gentleman comes up to us. You remember this, babe? Uh, a gentleman comes up to us and he says, hey, I was in the same breakfast joint as you guys earlier and I felt like God was leading me to say something to you, but I, but I just didn't, I kind of fought that. But now that you're sitting in the same movie theater as I am, he's either stalking us or this was too, like, he said, I feel like I'm really supposed to tell you this. He didn't know us from Adam. God is about to do something incredible through your lives. We hadn't started Trace Church yet. God is about to do something incredible through your lives that neither of you could ever think or imagine or expect. And now six years into Trace Church and seeing how God has used my wife and I in this little church and all the life change that has come about, come about, we think back to that moment when this gentleman spoke into our lives. That was a prophetic word that God had given that, that gentleman. I would tell you that I've received this from time to time, but what we don't get to do, and I've said this before, what we don't get to do is we don't get to receive something for, from God and then go to somebody and say, well, God told me to tell you, listen, you do not get to canonize your words. And when you say, God told me to tell you as if there's no error in, a, in what you're about to say, that's canonizing your words. The canon is closed. You don't get to canonize your words. Brothers and sisters, when you receive a prophetic word from God, you receive that with a great level of humility. And when you, you deliver that with a great level of humility. If I've ever received that before and I give that to somebody, it sounds something like this. Hey, I felt like God was leading me to say this to you. I felt like God was leading me maybe to ask you this question. And I don't know, like, like I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna put that right there. I don't, I don't even know exactly if I got that, that right or wrong. Because listen to me, if we're not careful, if God gives you a prophetic word to speak to somebody else, if we're not careful, our, our ego gets in the way. And when our ego gets in the way, then what we may have a tendency to do is come and it's like, hey, let me show you this prophetic word that God gave to me, and we talked about this last week, the Spirit's role is to never magnify you. And so if you are ever exercising a gift of the Holy Spirit in a way that's magnifying you instead of Jesus, it's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be incredibly cautious and aware when we are trying to figure this out. And I would tell you, I'm still leaning into this 
This is something I still am cautious about sometimes because I don't want to do it in an unbiblical way, but I also don't want to shut down the full measure of what the Spirit is bringing to the table. And so I'm inviting God to continue to teach me on this. Let me close with this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says this, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but ready, test them all. How do we test them? By making sure they can be backed up with the word of God. We test them all. Hold on to what is good and we reject every kind of evil, which means, some of you might need to write this down. No experience gets to replace good exegesis. And exegesis is just being able to um, interpret what the text, what the Bible is actually saying and what it's not saying. The Bible can never mean what it never meant, meaning you don't get to bring meaning to the table. There's only one meaning the Bible can have in every single text. No experience gets to replace good exegesis. And so here's what I wanna say. I just wanna say a handful of statements really quick. Here's what I believe we need to do as a church when it comes to the spiritual gifts. We need to pray more and often to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? We need to eagerly desire the gifts. That's a command that Paul has given us. We need to eagerly desire the gifts. We need to be careful that we don't get sideways on the signs gifts and to make sure that whatever we're experiencing can be backed up, experiencing or exercising can be backed up clearly with the word of God. And if it's bringing more attention to you than it's bringing attention to Jesus, it's not a spiritual gift. Some of you, listen to me, some of you that sit in this chair or have sat in this chair before, some of you may need to be, some of you may need to test what you've been taught. Some of you may need to test what you have been taught and make sure that it can be backed up with the, with the written word of God. And at Trace, if I were to kind of give you an all-encompassing, a couple statements of who we are as a church, I want us to be spiritually, no, I want us to be biblically sound and spiritually alive. I want us to be biblically sound and spiritually alive. I want us to be biblically sound and spiritually alive. In other words, we should crave God's word, but we should also be filled with wonder of what he could do, of what he can do. We wanna be full of the spirit, and we wanna be full of truth. Let me close with this last text. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so if you find yourself, and I challenged some of us last week on this, if you find yourself at times coming in here and that little mechanism, a little mechanism inside of us, whatever that is, we kind of close that off. Like we might start to feel something. It's like, ah, I don't wanna feel that. Like that, that's scary. And we start to close that off. Let me just remind us, do not quench the Holy Spirit, but seek eagerly his gifts. Father, right now we come to you. And Father, I pray that I have delivered the words that you have led me to say in a way that at least allows us to be challenged in the right way, encouraged in the right, in the right way, that we would take the necessary time to grow in this area, 
And regardless of the experiences that we've had, that we would understand that this is something that you intended for your church to have and experience and to exercise. Father, I pray for those that maybe came out of hyper-charismatic environments that they're, they're still just uncertain. There's a lot of wounds there. God, I pray that you would give them healing that only they can. And if my voice can make a difference in any of that, God, that you would just show me how to use my voice well to offer wisdom and guidance. Father, for others that maybe have been completely closed off to any of this, that we would see clearly what your text says. This is not about what we want or don't want. We should always come to the table with what you want, what you desire for us to have. So God, I pray that you would just grow all of us as a church in what it looks like to experience the full measure of what you intended for us to experience when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And if we're unsure at times that we would just take the necessary time to dig deeper into your word and to uncover things that you were completely clear about. So God, right now, we wanna open ourselves up to you. Right now, we wanna open that mechanism that allows us to be a little bit more vulnerable when it comes to the Holy Spirit at work right now, God, right now. And so as we sing this song, maybe it's a different posture we need to take. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to put our arms up in the air. Maybe we need to sit down and pray. Maybe we need to sing these lyrics as if they're our declaration today. Help us, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen.